The Power of Journalism Awards is Shipset's way to honor the quality journalism and editorial framework that are vital for upholding a society based on trust and transparency. This year's winners in the category Best Storytelling was Harald Stolt Nielsen, Lene Skogström, and Fredrik Hagetorsen from Aftenposten. They won it for their captivating article Two Brothers. On one hand, it's a story about two young boys where everything goes south. On the other hand, it's a story about Oslo and Norwegian society. It's a great piece. In this episode, I discuss it and storytelling in general with Harald Stolt Nielsen. Harald, welcome to Shipstead Talks. Thank you for having me. And congratulations to the Shipstead Journalist Award for Best Storytelling. Thank you so much. We won it a couple of weeks ago now. This great story is called Two Brothers. Uh, could you elaborate a bit? Tell me what it is, this story. So during the summer of 2019, I had a meeting with a source of mine and uh, to talk about juvenile criminals in uh, Oslo mainly. And during that meeting, uh, my source told me about these uh, two brothers that at that time were about uh, 14 and 15 years old. And they had a lot of criminal cases registered on them, but uh, most of them happened before they were 15 and could be punished uh, by the police. And the source told us that uh, the Child Protective Services did very little and they caused a lot of problems for the police. So what interested us was... Well, what do you do when you have these young criminals that uh, are too young to be punished? And how does we as a society manage these young kids? I have a couple of questions regarding this. It's a wonderful story. Everyone should read it. It's really well done. But for starters, what went wrong in their lives? It's difficult to say, but from a very young age, uh, when they were around 11, 12 years old, they started... uh, doing crime. They started with uh, robbing other young kids. They moved from that uh, to doing uh, more uh, serious crimes as uh, by dealing drugs. And they were, after a while, also involved in a couple of serious uh, violent offenses uh, with machetes and knives and stuff like this. But their parents separate. They're from Iraq, basically. Well, they, they were born in Norway. or They were born in Norway. Both of the brothers uh, are born in, Nor- in Norway. Their parents came to Norway from Iraq uh, in the late uh, 1990s and settled here. So both the boys are born in Norway. They're separated, the parents, and, and the father left the family, it seems, in the article, right? Yes, their parents divorced when the boys were pretty young uh, before they started uh, becoming criminals, if that makes sense. So their father lived in the center of Oslo and their mother stayed uh, in the area where they grew up before the parents split up. How did you get get in touch with them? After our source uh, told us about them, they were not around in Oslo, but suddenly they uh, got arrested by the police in the early fall of 2019. So I started to go at their remand hearings, which were every 14 days, because the police put them in custody. So I started, during these uh, remand hearings, I started to talk to the boys, their parents, the lawyers, the child protective services, and started building trust from there. I told them that we wanted to write a story about them. We wanted to 
write a story that uh, wasn't just focused on them, but what went wrong, how society had failed them, and how other boys uh, in their situation also was uh, failed by society. Is it a social worker that said, if someone says that at the end of the article, Norway created these kids, do you agree with that? In some ways, yes, they're a product of the of Norway. They were born here. They were raised there. Of course, their parents aren't. They're not fully integrated. You can say their mother blames it all to racism all the times. So. Yeah, their mother is. Uh, she blames a lot of things on racism, on the police, on the child protective services. She doesn't really take a lot of responsibility for what happened. I don't think uh, the police or the child protective services would agree with that, but uh, you can say that uh, in many many ways I agree with the social worker that we as a society have to help these kids when they end up in these kinds of situations, and it went too far for them. So the brothers, they're still pretty young, and this puts a lot of, even though you have made up names, this still can put a lot of focus on them. Is this something that you discussed before before writing this article? Yeah, we had a lot of talks with our team, me, uh, Lena, and Tonya, who was our uh, leader for this project. Uh, we talked a lot about the ethics of uh, how young they were and that we needed both them and their parents' consent in many ways. Uh, and also when we interviewed one of the boys as well, who was in prison at the time, we had to had, uh, have the, the parents' written consent also to get into the prison to interview him. So we lose a lot of time on that. And we also put in some details in the articles that are not correct to hide their identity. And we let the boys read the article before we published. They uh, had a couple of uh, things they wanted to change and as did the lawyers uh, to hide their identity as well. And how did that work out? I mean, isn't the identity out there on the internet right now? Or Of course, the people that know about these boys before the story published will recognize them in some way. So their uncle or their aunt or their cousin or the, their teacher or some the, the people that know these boys from a very young age will perhaps recognize them. The man in, on the street doesn't know about them. Then you made well. The man on the street doesn't know about them at, at all. How, how much time did you spend on this article? So I started working on this project uh, part-time in the summer of 2019 when my source told me about them. Most weeks I worked on this story uh, as I worked with other stories as well during the fall and early winter of uh 2019, but full-time from January 2020 until publication in the late April of 2020. Me and Lena worked uh, full-time on this. So, uh, I mean, as far as storytelling goes, then, because that's what, what you, the award you won, I mean, what was the process like? How, how, how did you resonate? You like the tempo, which angles should we take, which voices, tone, how, which pictures? Tell me about it. During the early phases of our research phase for this uh, story, we got a lot of child uh, services documents that we used for the story. So we, early on, we got these documents that told us a lot of the story about them. So we wanted to use that 
for instance. So we counted how many um, uh, messages of worry the police had sent the child protective services and stuff like that uh, to use that as in the storytelling process. But we also wanted to use chapters because there are so many parts in these boys' lives, uh, so many, like you have the police, they have their angle, you have child protective services, you have the schools, you have fellow students and stuff like this that all in some way have made these boys or affected them in some way. So we wanted to use that as well. Uh, So we start our story, we wanted early on to start a story with uh, their childhood with uh, the first uh, when we have documentation from what happened with them. And then um, follow them uh, through the years up until the court uh, and the trial against them in the early 2020. What about the pictures then? We worked very closely with our photographer. We wanted to go to specific places. Uh, We wanted to go and photograph the places where these boys have been. We wanted to show the parts of Oslo where they have been, but also uh, some of the pictures we took were too... They identified the boys too much, so there was a lot of work that went into taking photographs that that wouldn't identify them too much. Uh, And there were a lot of uh, visual effects that we couldn't use because of that. One thing I thought of, it, it seems like you have cliffhangers at the end of each chapter. It made me, it reminded me of TV series and things like that. How did you resonate about that? It's not the first time that Aftenposten have used this uh, way of structuring the story with chapters. But one of the problems often is that you have kind of like one chapter is about that, one chapter is about another thing. But we wanted to have a cliffhanger at the end of each episode, well, each chapter, so that there was an incentive for the reader to keep on reading. There was something that we wanted to stir in the reader's mind that I have to keep on reading. And we see this also in the digital version of the story that a lot of the people, when they finished reading the first chapter, they often if they go read to chapter the two yeah they read the whole thing i read the whole article of course but i, I never read that lo- uh, such a long time in norwegian before but it was great <laughs> uh, good practice good practice so uh, i mean this is a luxury as a journalist to be able to spend this much time is this, is this a luxury that you have at afton posten to be able to work on one story for this long Most of the times you don't have uh, this much time on every story, but when you find a so strong, so good story, uh, the people here at Aftenposten let you run with it. You get the time you need. They see that this is a story that needs to be told right, and then you get the time that is needed to finish that story and, and tell it in the best possible way. The two brothers, what, what could the society have done differently? Well, I think... Save them. Yeah, it's difficult to say. I think uh, every the boys could have done a lot more themselves. But, uh, of course, there's a, when you have a mother that blames everything on racism and you have a father that is not that involved, you, can, uh, you should ask the question, should the Child Protective Services do more? And in Norway, the Child Protective Services have a philosophy that they 
uh, ha- they should do the least uh, intervening measures at all time. So you can ask yourself, should they have done more in this case? Is it healthy for a boy to time and time and, and again do serious crime? If the answer is no, that is not for in the best interest for the child. Uh, you have to ask yourself, should you then take the child out of that environment? But I mean, they are taken out of that environment and they run away from it all the time. Yeah, sometimes, but they're not. (laughs) And that's one of the problems as well we uh, discovered during our uh, work on this story is that there are a lot of limitations to these uh, child institutions to keep the kids behind closed doors or uh, behind bars, if if you would say it like that. But... The Child Protective Services in Norway are very restrictive in doing uh, intervening measures on young kids. So you can ask yourself if they should do that a lot more in these cases. This story have the, has the, the, this important thing with two layers, you know, the little life, the brothers, and the, the, the larger picture with the, the bigger scope with the society, and that's great. But, I mean, th- does these two young criminals say something about uh, Osterte? Is it that common with this sort of rough criminality with, with young people? We've seen in Norway, especially in Oslo, since 2014, there's been a rise in youth criminals, uh, but it's stabilized in a couple of years. It's not rapidly increasing as much as before. But what the police and the social services see is that they're getting younger and they're getting more violent than before, and that there is a small group that does a lot of criminal uh, cases. Uh, So that's something that is getting more and more normal in Oslo now, that you have these 10 to kids between 10 and 15 years old that sell drugs, that uh, rob other uh, youth that are involved in violent crimes. That is getting more and more uh, usual. What was the effect of this article? So we uh, see that there was a lot of talk about it and there was a lot of debate. And uh, we are now seeing that the child uh, services are looking into how they can uh, change the way that these institutions are uh, being uh, used in some way. And also there was a lot of discussion or they're trying to changed a little bit about the use of some of the uh, institutions that can close the doors and uh, where these kids can't run. But also there were the child services as well, they admit that there is some kids that you can't help as well. It's not the child services job, for instance, to protect society always. It's to protect the child. But that's sort of the feeling you get while reading about these two brothers. They kind of lost causes. Yeah, in many ways you do. Uh, you get this feeling. You can never say never. Uh, there's uh, always a, an opportunity. But these kids have they're grow, they have grown up in a, in a criminal environment. They've uh, robbed or sold drugs for years. So it's going to be interesting to follow them in the years to come. And the other effects, I mean, that really shows the power of journalism. That's great. Uh, so my last question then, what, what's your next big scoop? Uh, 
No comment. Well, we're we're trying to two sisters, <laughs> two sisters. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's difficult to say, but we're we continue to we are working on something big. We're working always on youth crime and uh, other crime stories and the effect it has on society. Harald, thank you so much for coming to Ships That Talks. Thank you so much for having me. This podcast was brought to you by Shipset Employee Branding Team. My name is Hugo Rienberg and producer was Jens Back.